have never run a marathon before. Never run, never run. Keep your hands up if you've never run a marathon before. Which means that those of you whose hands not up, run marathon one. Ah. Wow, we have a very, very active bunch here in this church. Yeah. Let, now, let's say, okay, so for those of you who have never run a marathon before, let's say you had a friend who came up to you and they asked you, oh, this year, ah, Penang, eh, Penang Bridge Marathon, Finish already uh, this year. I, sorry, I don't keep track. Because uh, I can never I can never attend. It's always on Sunday, right? Um, yeah, so let's say they, they say, uh, this year got Penang Bridge Marathon coming up. Uh, ask you to join, okay? How many of you would sign up right away? No questions asked. Tada. Uh, okay. You won't, right? If you've never run a marathon before, you, you won't suddenly commit to running one. You would ask questions at least, even if you're interested. You ask questions about the marathon. You ask, how long is the marathon? How, uh, how, how long does it take? How far do you need to go? Uh, need to train or not? How to train? Uh, do I, am, am I too old to take part in the marathon? Uh, do I win a prize for completing it? If I collapse on the bridge, will they just leave me there and reopen Penang Bridge? Right? You ask all these questions because we are weighing the cost of what it takes in order to take part in this marathon. Now, in the journey of following Jesus, a journey called discipleship, this journey is much longer and so much more important than any physical marathon. And so that's why the cost of following Jesus, the cost of discipleship must be considered very carefully. And so that's the big idea for today. That, uh, that there is a personal and communal cost to pay for the benefit of following Jesus. Okay, so this is a takeaway. If you forget everything, remember there is a personal and communal cost to pay for the benefit of following Jesus. Now, just very quickly about where we are. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, this is a, a rough outline. It's not mine. Huh? Uh, I, I got it from uh, the internet. But the, the Gospel of Matthew is made up of two prologues, uh, sorry, a prologue and an epilogue, a climax. Lah. Climax leading up to an epilogue. Uh, and the climax is about the events surrounding the death of Jesus, okay? The prologue is about the coming of Jesus, okay? And then, in between, there are five sets of narratives which are recorded events and teachings, okay? So, narrative and teaching, then the next set, narrative, teaching, then the next set, narrative, teaching. And so, you can imagine the Gospel of Matthew like a huge sandwich, okay? You have two buns, the prologue, the, the climax and the epilogue, and then in between, the filling of the, the, the five layers of narratives and teachings in between. And so we've looked at the baptism and the tempting of Jesus and his calling of his first disciples in Matthew chapter 3 and 4. That is the first set 
of narratives. So past the bun, then first set of narratives. Then we've also looked at some of the teachings that came from a series of teachings that Jesus gave, known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And so this is the first set of teachings. So this makes the first pair, okay, the first pair. So the first layer of the sandwich filling is done. Four more layers to go. Now today we are in the second layer of this sandwich filling. The, the second set of narratives <clears throat> that's made up of miracles interspersed by the topic of following Jesus, the topic of discipleship. And so our passage today follows accounts of Jesus performing miraculous healing and casting out demons. Okay, so Jesus is getting really popular and famous by now. And what happens is when you do miracles, you do something fantastic that people have never seen before, what, what happens? It attracts a crowd, right? And so many, uh, a huge crowd of followers, a huge crowd of people following him, uh, not necessarily because they want to devote their lives in following him as their Lord, but maybe some are just kepo. They want to see the miracle again. They want to see another magic trick. Okay, maybe someone to learn from him as a teacher because they hear, wow, all his teachings, all his words, very wise one. Spiritual truth must be revealed to him. I want to learn, right? And so the Bible refers to all these people, this crowd who follows Jesus as, uh, sometimes refers as the crowd, okay? And sometimes the, the Bible refers to them as disciples, Okay, so when you see the word disciples in the Gospels, it's not just 12 disciples, okay? It's talking about all these people who have been following Jesus uh, and, and the, the crowd. But before we look at how Jesus interacts with two of these followers, I, I want us to look at our first point for today, that there is a cost to following Jesus. If you look at your Bibles in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, you will see the subtitle of today's passage. In most Bible versions, uh, NIV at least, it is, the, the subtitle is The Cost of Following Jesus. And so this is a critical component of discipleship, uh, of the uh, crucial piece of following Jesus, the cost of following Him. Uh, you may have heard salvation is a free gift, right? Uh, that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost something. Now, what do I mean by that? It seems like a contradiction, right? Salvation is free gift, but it costs something. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say it's your birthday, okay? You, you are celebrating your birthday, and in order to celebrate your birthday, you are meeting up with a very good friend, okay? A friend who cares deeply about you and loves you. But before meeting with them, uh, let's say you, you arrange to meet them at Gurney Plaza. Lah. Okay, you're going to go and watch a movie. Uh, you're going to go and hang out in a cafe and you know, just celebrate with them. But you're there early. And so you say, ah, since I'm already here, I need to pick up some groceries. Lah. Okay, so then you go to the supermarket. Okay, go all the way down to Makato. Uh, and then you go and you, as you are shopping, 
You see, ah yeah, this one I need, ah yeah, that one I need, ah ah this one on sale, ah ah that one discount, ah, and so you start taking all the things that you want to buy and bring back home, okay? Because you're still early, lah. Uh, it's Penang, ah, so no plastic bag provided, ah, okay? And you weren't planning on going grocery shopping, so you didn't bring any of your reusable, recyclable shopping bags, and you also took yourself, lah. Okay, to go and buy the supermarket's reusable bag. So, you grab, you pay for your stuff, you grab all of it, you, you are desperately trying to balance everything in your arms. Okay, you got X balance on top and it's just right. Okay, carefully, if you're very, very careful, uh, you can make it to your car. And so, you, you start heading, slowly making your way to your car. Uh, in order to, to put all your groceries there. You're still very far away from the kappa uh, when you bump into your friend and they just arrived. They are so a bit early. Lah. But they're standing there before you with a huge box, a huge wrapped gift for you, your birthday present. Okay, and they shout, hey, happy birthday, this is for you. And so you, you have all your stuff here and they're like, nah. <laughs> and so they say, hey, you're carrying a lot of stuff, huh? Let me help you take to your car. Okay, you, you give me all your stuff, then you, you take your present first, you open it first, it's yours already. I want, I want you to enjoy your present. Okay, and so you, you're in a dilemma. You have three options. Your first option is you reject the gift and you say, uh, no, don't give me. Uh, you wait here. Let me take care of all this stuff first. I go and dump it in the car first and then I come back later and, and take. Lah. Okay, so you reject the gift. Second option, you try to grab the gift and under one arm together with all the other stuff in the other arm and you stumble and shuffle your way to your car, okay, and you try to open your gift with one hand, one finger, while you are trying to balance everything else and you're dropping things all over the place, okay? Your third option, you put down your stuff, you accept your gift, you open it, and you accept the help of your friend who is uh, willing to help you carry your stuff to your car. Even though you took so much effort to shop for each item, see all the best deals, balance everything so carefully. But you have to trust your friend to carry things properly. Don't drop anything and break everything. Now, regardless of which option you choose, let me ask you. Uh, so that's, that's you. Lah. Okay, regardless of which option that you choose, let me ask you, did you have to do anything to earn the birthday gift? No, right? It's given to you. Free gift. Mm. The gift is free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything to deserve it. But did it cost you anything to take possession of the gift properly, fully? Well, it does, right? Without offloading all the stuff that your, your arms are full of, you won't be able to properly open and appreciate the gift. You may know that, ah, okay, I have a gift here somewhere, but I, I can't really look at it, I can't really enjoy it. 
later lah, later lah, when I've dealt with all this stuff, right? I know this is not a perfect illustration, lah, but my point is that salvation is a free gift, yes. Uh, John Wesley calls it prevenient grace, God's favour that comes before we can do anything to deserve, okay? Uh, God's offer of salvation, salvation from death that our sins deserve, uh, it comes to us first because Jesus died on the cross first, before we could repent, before we could say sorry, okay? And so, God paid the price for our sins before we even knew we needed His forgiveness. So it's a free, unearned gift. We cannot do any work to earn it. But being saved from our sins is just the beginning of our journey of following Jesus. And that journey of discipleship is what brings us the abundant life that Jesus promises us to all who are saved and follow Him. And so when we receive the gift of salvation, that is not the end of the journey of discipleship. That's just the beginning. So we don't earn our salvation, but experiencing its full impact on our lives now through this journey of discipleship, there is a cost. And so let's look at the first interaction that Jesus has with someone who wanted to follow Him. And this shows us, in this interaction, it will show us that there is a personal cost. Now, because there is a crowd following Jesus, Jesus makes plans to cross over to the other side of the lake. But a teacher of the law, uh, maybe it's a Pharisee, uh, somebody who teaches the law, uh, the law of Moses, teaches it and also enforces it. Uh, they, they tell him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, the teach, this teacher of the law may have just been talking about following him across the lake. Like, <laughs> we don't know, right? Uh, or maybe something longer term. But look at how Jesus responds. Jesus doesn't respond, come, follow me, which is what he says to, to the other disciples. Huh? Uh, he also doesn't say, don't come, don't follow me. Instead, he responds, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Uh, very quickly, when Jesus mentions the Son of Man, he is talking about uh, himself. Okay? He is referring to a prophecy that is made in uh, the, the, the book of Daniel uh, that talks about the Messiah. Okay? So Jesus is referring to himself when he, he says the Son of Man. But what's all this about foxes and birds? Sounds very cryptic, but what is Jesus really saying? Now, what are dens and what are nests? They are places where animals will return to for shelter, where they go to for security, where they store what they have accumulated. Okay, in other words, their rumala, their home, right? And so when Jesus says he, the Son of Man, has no place to lay his head, he's not complaining, no pillow. <laughs> he's not saying, hey, somebody is in my bed, you know, like the story of uh, Goldilocks and the three bears. Huh? Jesus is saying he has no home. In other words, he's homeless. And his journey is not an easy one. 
Oh, you might be wondering, what's the big deal? No home, so what? Road trip, ma. <laughs> okay, just a very long road trip, backpacking adventure with Jesus. And that may sound appealing to some of us today, especially if we enjoy traveling. Eh? But traveling today is very different from 2,000 years ago. Today, we can travel safely, comfortably. We can drive our car, our own car that nobody else sits in, uh, on highways, with rest stops. We can drive our car to a nice place and go glamping. Now, any of you know what glamping is? Uh, those of you who have not heard of this term, uh, basically it means it's short form for glamour camping. Uh, very in now, okay? Basically, it's going to some very nice spot, very safe, very secure, very comfortable, maybe even a resort. You bring your own Instead of a nice tent, uh, you, you bring maybe even your own bed, your own sofa, uh, got electricity generator, uh, you can Netflix and chill. It's, it's like a camping in comfort or luxury. Eh? But even if you don't go glamping or you, you, you don't travel around in your own car, you can still grab a train, you can still grab a plane, you can rent a homestay, you can couch surf with somebody somewhere. Uh, any emergency, let's say you lose your, lose your wallet or whatever, you can use your phone, call your friends, call your family, come and help. Uh, or maybe your credit card doesn't work, or you can go ATM, draw money, right? But during Jesus' time, being on the road, stopping for the night, having no place to call home, uh, is not glamorous at all, okay? And so the roads were dusty, uh, full of animal droppings because, you know, the, they, they use beasts of burden, donkey, la, camel, la, whatever. Then as they, as they walk, there is no... They don't go and make toilet stop, you know. They just deposit as they go. Plop, 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 okay? So you're, you're journeying with all of that. So it's not just dirty or smelly, huh? It was dangerous. Bandits are waiting at all the dark corners, uh, praying especially on travellers. And so if you didn't lose your life and you're going to hit by a bandit, gonna mugged, uh, you lost everything that you had on you. And so if you had no home to go back to and store all your stuff, you basically lose everything you ever owned. Okay? Let that sink in. So Jesus was saying that if anyone wanted to follow him, they have to be prepared for a difficult journey ahead. Not a life of general ease or security that you know, the teachers of the law would have been used to back then. So following Jesus will have a personal cost. The journey of discipleship will cost us in a personal way. It doesn't mean that the journey of discipleship must always be uncomfortable or it must always be dangerous. But it's not always easy and it's not always comfortable either. We need to get our expectations right. And those who want to follow Jesus need to be aware it won't always be an easy journey. And so this is why we have membership classes before we baptise people, uh, unless it's a life or death situation, uh, uh, we, we will usually make sure that people go through membership classes first, learn about the basics and the foundations of the Christian faith before saying, 
you know, saying their membership vows, uh, their baptism vows, because they should understand the cost of following Jesus. Uh, those who want to be baptized need the good news of salvation that comes with following Jesus, yes, but they also need to know the cost. So if you haven't been baptized yet, uh, quick advertisement, uh, if you haven't been baptized yet, we're starting our membership classes soon, our baptism classes, our cost-counting classes, uh, I think a couple of weeks' time uh, this month, okay? So please let Angeline or our church office know if you are interested. Now let's move on to the next interaction that Jesus has with somebody who also wanted to follow him. And that interaction shows us that not just a personal cost, there is also a communal cost to following Jesus. Uh, we don't hear how the teacher of the law responds to the personal cost of following Jesus. Uh, maybe he goes away, maybe he, you know, accepts it and follows, we don't know. But the next guy comes up to him, comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. The unspoken message is, then I will follow you. Okay, let me first go bury my father, then I will follow you. So what's this about burying his father? Now, Bible scholars have given a few explanations for this. One explanation, the guy's father just died. Okay, and so he has a strict 24-hour window uh, to go to make sure that his father is buried. That was the duty of a son. And this duty is seen as something very high priority in society. It gives you, allows you to be excused from anything. Okay, so you can take off from work, uh, uh, any duty that you're supposed to do. Uh, oh, burying your father is like number one priority. Okay, another explanation is that there was a Jewish custom of reburying the bones of a family member a year after they've died. Once again, something that's expected of sons, especially the firstborn sons. So maybe this guy had to, he was talking about this Jewish custom. Father died already. Within that one year, he needs to rebury the bones. One more explanation. The guy's father is not dead yet. Okay, maybe... He was very elderly or very sick, but not yet dead. And so this guy wanted to make sure that everything is settled nicely. Uh, everything that will come with the death of his father, all the preparations, all the burials, all the duties, uh, then only fully commit to following Jesus. Now, whichever explanation you prefer, what it clearly means is, this guy is saying, there will be a delay in following Jesus could be up to a year delay or if the guy's father is still alive indefinite amount of time delay as long as the father is still alive now the point of this passage is not for the son to be irresponsible or to ask the father to hurry up and die that's not the point okay the point is that the guy has something currently in the way, currently preventing him from following Jesus now. It is something socially acceptable. It is something that affects others, not just him. It is something that will be very difficult, but it's still something that is preventing him from following Jesus right away. So how does Jesus answer him? 
Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Uh, it, you know, at, at, at first reading, it sounds very, wow, Jesus, you're really not holding any punches. Uh, it's, this sounds really offensive. Huh? Uh, Jesus saying, let the dead bury their own dead could be a play on words because the Aramaic word for uh, dead sounds like the word for waverer, somebody who wavers. Okay, not sure one. Uh, so he could be using this play on words to say, you know, let those who are wavering go and bury their own dead. Uh, or it could simply be referring to those who don't follow him, they are spiritually dead. Okay? But this is not the focus of Jesus' reply. The focus is, follow me. Okay? And the unspoken implication is, Follow me now, not later, not after everything called him. Follow me now. In other words, following Jesus is more important than anything else, including fulfilling these socially accepted customs that were expected of this man. Now, the Gospel of Luke records these two encounters uh, that we covered the, the teacher of the law, this guy who wants to bury his father, okay? It, it talks about those two accounts. But it also adds one more encounter. And that is, uh, another guy comes to Jesus and he says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And so this is an even more explicit statement not just about social customs, but about family. And the message here is clear that the cost of following Jesus is not just yourself. It can have a communal cost. It can affect even your family. Now, this might be a hard message for us to accept as Malaysians. Uh, as Malaysians, we tend to prioritize family relationships more than you know, some other cultures. Uh, and even in church, we teach about the importance of family. We've been harping about family discipleship for many, many years. We know how important family is. We encourage family relationship. Okay? So how does Jesus ask this guy to ignore his duty to his family? Uh, whenever we preach the, the, through the Bible, there's usually a bit of a cultural gap that we need to bridge because we're not living in a Jewish society during those times. But this issue of this guy wanting to bury his father first instantly makes me think of a very, very, very common thing that we come across in Malaysia. At least I definitely come across it many times as a pastor in Malaysia. And I'm sure many of you have also come across this issue as well. When people say, no to following Jesus because they need to perform their filial duty. They need to buy for their parents after they die. Right? Sound familiar? Uh, this is because many, for those of you not familiar with our Malaysian uh, Chinese customs, uh, many Malaysian Chinese practice ancestral worship. Okay, so uh, if you go online and try and research it, it's going to be very fuzzy because our Malaysian version of Chinese religion is jumpo jumpo, uh, mixed. Okay, 
it's not just Buddhism, it's not just Taoism, it's not just folk religion, it's all kinds of mix, okay? And so, uh, those, those who are um, still in the Chinese uh, religion, okay, whether it's Buddhism, Taoism, and a combination, involves uh, praying to and making offerings for their ancestors after they've died. And this is seen as a very, very, very important duty in the family. And so sometimes the parents themselves are opposed to their children becoming Christian because they know after they, they become Christian, they're not going to perform any uh, ancestral worship, right? They're not going to do their duty. And sometimes the children themselves feel duty-bound to perform ancestral worship, especially if they're oldest in the family. And so, they, because of this, they won't become Christians because they feel they have to respond. Uh, they have to be responsible. They have to, you know, uh, be, be uh, cannot be so ungrateful to all their, their parents have done for them and, you know, all that. Now, don't misunderstand me. Family is important, okay? The Bible tells us love honor, respect our parents. Family is important. But the fact remains that even if it's something respectable or highly valued in society or in culture, if it stands in the way of having a relationship with God by following Jesus and Jesus alone, it is still a barrier to following Him. And if we value or love something more than God, that is the definition of, oops, sorry, go back. Uh, that is the definition of idolatry. Okay, when we value or we love something more than God, that is idolatry. And so the cost of following Jesus isn't always setting down something less honourable, like our comfort, our security, and then, uh, oh, see, I'm giving up all these uh, selfish things so that I can follow Jesus. Sometimes the cost of following Jesus is setting down something greatly honoured in society, something very respectable, something that affects more than just us and affects people we care about. Sometimes the cost is a family tradition. Sometimes it's a respected ambition. Sometimes it's a cherished relationship. Uh, before I continue to this next session, uh, I, I want to say that I struggled greatly <laughs> in uh, preparing this message because I don't want to offend or cause people to be repelled from Jesus. But I felt a great conviction uh, that I need to broach this topic. And so I want you to know that I am coming from a place of love, okay, as I say this. Uh, there is a common phrase among Christians called missionary dating. You've heard of it before? No? New, huh? Oh, okay, let me introduce this concept to you. It's when a disciple of Jesus gets romantically involved with someone who doesn't already follow Jesus. Okay, so it's when a Christian uh, dates a non-Christian. And so usually, uh, they, they will justify it and they'll say uh, that, is a gospel sharing opportunity. I can share the gospel with them, right? Uh, or, or if they don't want to get baptized, I won't marry them. It's okay, right? okay? Uh, so it's a bit like being a missionary 
somebody who goes and, and you know brings people to Christ by dating them lah. Okay, the the I won't call it a Christian love jihad. <laughs> it's missionary dating, okay? Missionary dating. Uh, this is the so if you've ever heard of the unequally yoked thing, uh, uh, this is it, lah. Okay, but I don't want to just throw a Bible verse out and leave it and say, you know, Bible say don't be unequally yoked and then don't explain, right? I want us to to understand the issues. Now, please believe me when I say I'm not pointing at anybody here. Uh, I don't know most of your background and history and all that. I'm addressing this as an issue that all churches face very, very frequently. And I've come across it in every church that I've been to. So I'm talking generally, okay, from past experience. And in many cases of missionary dating, uh, some do get baptized. And, uh, you know, before they get married, they say, okay, I'll get baptized uh, and we, we can get married in church, have a Christian wedding. And in some cases, yes, faith in Jesus is born. And so I say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for every soul that is saved. However, I've seen too many of these relationships go the other way. And instead of the non-Christian coming to faith, the disciple of Jesus is drawn away from their faith. And I'm quite sure I'm not alone in observing this. And so think about it, okay? Why does this happen? As a Christian single, as a single Christian person, or even as a Christian couple or Christian family, we struggle with our sinful nature already, right? We are constantly tempted to drift away from God on our own. You, you leave somebody who, who is single and Christian, you, you leave them to their own devices, sometimes they'll just feel reluctant to get out and go to church, right? They want to continue sleeping, right? Amen? Hallelujah? No? <laughs> okay, so, so it's something that we already struggle with. And so if someone you really care about, someone very important in your life, if they don't share your faith, the temptation to drift away from God is far greater. It's so much more challenging. And a non-Christian is not going to argue with you. They're not going to hold you accountable for their faith. They're not going to say, hey, time to go to church. Why are you not going to church? Right? They're not saying, hey, you better join a small group. You're not growing in your faith. They, they won't say, hey, you got do your quarter or not, right? They, even if they are not opposed to your faith, okay, even if they are supportive, at best they'll say, I support you, up to you, right? I don't say any of this to guilt or condemn any of us. Uh, if any of us here today have been in such a situation or already are in such a situation, I want to say that God can redeem any situation, there's nothing that ever happens that God cannot redeem. Pray for it. And I also want to also say that if any of you here today came to faith in Christ in this way, I praise God. Right, I praise God you were brought into His family. And please know that those who came to Christ in other ways, not through missionary dating, they are not better than you. Okay? We are all sinners in need of Jesus. But I do need to say this, hopefully gently. Huh? Uh, if you came to faith as a result of missionary dating, 
you are a result of God's redeeming grace, but you're also a minority. Okay? Uh, the majority who have gone through a similar situation don't respond like you. Okay, so praise God if you have come to faith through missionary dating. All right. But you are a minority. And so I risk bringing up this subject and alienating some of us today because I need to caution all of us, uh, those of us who might be considering or may one day in the future consider becoming romantically involved with someone who doesn't share your convictions in following Jesus. And so especially those who are younger, uh, maybe even those who haven't started dating yet. If God is the central and most important part of your life, then I urge you, I encourage you, wait for someone who you can share that most central and most important part of your life with. You don't, you don't want to be holding back one, such a huge part of your life, right? And what if someone who doesn't share your faith comes to you? and they express their interest in you, they want to tackle you. Uh, if that happens, my encouragement is gently decline any romantic relationship, remain friends. Don't put them a hole. Uh. <laughs> uh, unless they come to genuine faith on their own somewhere down the line, right? then maybe you consider in the future. But don't Put them on hold. Don't set it as a condition for dating you. Don't make them think that you are waiting for them to become Christian first because that can affect their motives for coming to Christ. And it is not kind to string anyone along. Okay. No need to be kiasu. Don't, don't need to be afraid that, hey, if this person don't want to chase me, uh, nobody want me already. No need to be kiasu, okay? Trust God that He will have the right person for you in His time. Okay. I know that when it comes to matters of the heart, it can be incredibly difficult. Not just for you, but also for others. And so if you say, you know, I, I, I decline your interest in me because I want to follow Jesus, it's not just affecting you, it's affecting that person also, right? But sometimes the cost of following Jesus is more than just a personal cost. It is a communal cost. Now, my message today, in conclusion, eh? my message today is titled The Cost and Benefit of Following Jesus, even though the, the passage that we looked at is all about cost. Lah. Okay, because I don't want us to leave today with a lopsided idea of what the Christian life is like. Uh, you know the teaching of hypergrace? Heard of it? Okay, it, it's the, the, basically the, the teaching that God only sees the purity and righteousness of Jesus every time He looks at us, no matter what kind of life we are living, uh, it, without confession, without repentance, living in sin, and He's perfectly fine with it because His grace is so, you know, great. Uh, this is a false teaching because it only presents half the picture. Uh, when, when we only look at God's grace without looking at His holiness, it can result in a very lopsided, a very crippled spiritual life full of sin, far from God. And so in the same way, only looking at the cost of the journey of discipleship without looking at the benefits will also result in a lopsided spiritual life that is maybe bitter, 
maybe resentful, complaining, grumbling all the time. Uh, why the cost so high? Why I have to pay so much? Right? Uh, just like how a child feels when they are forced to obey their parents without understanding why. No means no. <clears throat> why? <laughs> right? And they feel very grum. Uh, especially if they don't already have a, a loving and trusting relationship with their parents. Now, thankfully, the Bible is full of promises of why it is beneficial to follow Jesus. And this is a whole other sermon, but let me just very, very quickly list a few things off the top of my head. Some of the benefits of following Jesus. Sorry, very small. Huh? If you want, you take uh, photo or you, you come and ask me later, I'll send to you. Okay, some of the benefits, knowing and having a relationship with a good, all-knowing, all-powerful creator who loves you. Okay, another benefit of following Jesus, knowing the truth about God, about yourself, about this world as revealed in the Bible. Third benefit, forgiveness of all your sins and an eternal life of abundance that starts now here on earth. Another benefit, promise of a glorified body without any weakness or disease in the future. Another benefit, security of knowing what happens after death. Another benefit, peace of knowing God will provide for all your needs. Another one, discovering the meaning and purpose for your life. You know, is there more to life than this? Knowing that there is more to life than this. Uh, another one, knowing that all injustices in the world will be settled one day. Another one, uh, uh, okay, no more. Etc., 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 etc. If I listed all, uh, we'll be here all day, right? And so following Jesus is costly. Yes, it is. But following Jesus is far more beneficial than it is costly. If you look at cost-benefit analysis of following Jesus, uh, it's... I don't know what it looks like, but the benefit is far, 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 far more than the cost of following Jesus. I close with this last one. How many of you enjoy paying for car installment? No, nobody. No one enjoys doing the higher purchase payments to the bank every month. Huge chunk of your salary goes away. Uh, even if, you are, uh, it's, even if it's not a cost that you enjoy paying, you don't spend every day sitting at home, staring at your, your, your car installment invoice bill, higher purchase bill, grumbling, complaining, asking yourself, why so stupid, why I buy this car? You don't waste all your time just obsessing over the fact that why is it so expensive, right? You enjoy the benefit of having a car to use. You use the car, you go to the park, you use the car, you go and tap out food, you use the car to drive to work, to earn the money to pay for the car installment. Right? You enjoy the benefit. You don't just obsess about the cost. And so the cost is a reality you have to be aware of, yes, or else you cannot pay, eh? and then you can enjoy the benefit but the benefit is worth the cost. And so friends, I'd like you to know that there is a personal and communal cost to pay for the benefit of following Jesus. It's not cheap. 
but so worth it. I'd like you to be a disciple of Jesus who is willing to follow him at all costs. No exceptions. And do enjoy the benefits that the life of following Jesus brings. Don't just look at the costs. Enjoy the benefits. Now, just very quickly, some questions for those of us who may want to uh, reflect or discuss in our small groups or families. First, what is one cost you've paid to follow Jesus? You've already paid, huh? Second, what is one benefit you've experienced in following Jesus? And third, what is one thing that is holding you back from following Jesus more closely? Okay, I'll leave these questions with you to ponder. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.